Hi, I'm Scott Hamilton, Rockfile, back with another podcast review, and this is something I've wanted to do since I started podcasting. With the passing of Sean Connery this past week, I figured it was time to rewatch every single 007 movie and review them. I got the box set back in 2012 of the 50th anniversary that had everything that was produced up to that time, plus I picked up what's come out since. So, we're going to start with Dr. No right now. To give you a little background about me and my love of movies, 007 is the first memories I have of being in a drive-in. When I was a little kid, my parents would put me in the back seat and take me to the drive-in theater so they wouldn't have to get a uh, babysitter. Later, they got babysitters. But when I was really, really, really young, I saw a lot of movies in the late 60s that I really don't remember the movies, but I remember the experience of being in the back seat and having the speaker at the time. You, you put a speaker on the window um, that, that broadcasted in the car. Later, all uh, drive-ins have AM transmitters, so when you get there, you can tune your car radio to it and listen in the luxury of your car, whatever AM stereo you had at the time. But anyway, my... my so really, early my earliest, earliest, earliest memories of movies is James Bond. We were going to see James Bond movies. And later in life, when my parents were not doing so well, and I was starting to do things individually with my parents, movies were always a thing I did with my mom. Mom and I shared a love of books and movies. And I remember that in 1977... You know, we went to see uh, The Spy Who Loved Me in this little theater outside of Atlanta, and it was just the two of us, and it was a big deal. And we saw several of the James Bond movies. And throughout my adult life, as a James Bond movie would come out, if I was near Atlanta, I would hook up with Mom and go see a 007 flick. It was just a thing for our family. So I've always loved James Bond. And I've, I've enjoyed um, everything from Sean Connery through uh, George Lazenby and Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton. And, and I absolutely love um, our current Bond. Daniel Craig. I think he's fabulous in the role. I think he's perfect for the role. I read the books as a kid. I told you my mother and I shared a love of books, and she's the one who got me into reading. I ha- She was a member of a hardback book club, and I remember Stephen King uh, You know, were some of the first things I read, but even before that, I read some of the James Bond novels she had, and they were pretty thin books. They weren't real thick. They were pretty easy to read, and um, it was interesting that at a young age I could I could watch a James Bond movie and oh oh that that's not the way it was in the book kind of thing <laughs> but but I quickly learned that books and movies are apples and oranges so they took the character of James Bond and they tried to make a television series out of it in the 50s and it didn't last very long and they made a Casino Royale film which was the first book that had really nothing to do with the ongoing uh, Bond series and then finally it's an interesting story of how it came to be that they made Dr. No. Again not the first book in the Bond series but it's a fairly simple story and a, an easy one to film. They only had a budget of about a million dollars and if you get the Blu-ray or you can look it up on YouTube or whatever, there's a great documentary of how they made, how the movie got made. It was two different producers who worked with other people, and they really wanted to do this, and they did it because they wanted to do it. Through my life and my love of 007, I've probably seen Dr. No the least amount of times of all of the movies. It came out before I was born, so I didn't see it in the, in the drive-in. <laughs> and it, it was not one that was shown more often than some of the others, like Goldfinger and things like that. 
the movie is not bad by any stretch of the imagination. What amazed me watching it now in 2020 is how they nailed just about everything about the character and the movies that would be continued on forever. I mean, they nailed it from the first movie. Bands on their debut album don't always nail their sound. You know, they, they kind of evolve for a while. But And, and movie franchises, same thing. You know, uh, movies change over time and they finally... I mean, take a look at the Mission Impossible movies. The The first one's okay. The second one's not very good. The third one starts getting better. And then four or fives, they get really great. So no one could have, have imagined that, that this would set the tone. I mean, the character... Not just the things from the book, but the things that that are part of the movie, like the little circle that starts with him shooting the gun and then it bounces around and then it becomes part of the intro. They did that in the very first movie. Um, M, say, you know, they they nailed everything about the character, everything about the movie, everything about this the franchise from the very first episode. You know, incredible job considering it was a low-budget film at the time. Sean Connery was pretty much an unknown. He made uh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, and that's how they saw him. And they thought, hey, okay. Ursula Andress was a pretty big uh, actress at the time, and, and, and she is probably one of the most memorable things about the movie. Everybody remembers that scene of her with the scuba gear, uh, the bikini, coming out of the ocean. Uh, Joseph Wiseman as Dr. No. It was interesting also in the documentary how they got into, uh, they, they wanted some other people. One of the producers wanted somebody else to play the role, and it just wasn't going to happen. Jack Lord, if you remember on the original uh, Hawaii Five O series, he plays the very first Felix Leiter, who is the CIA operative that James Bond always interfaces with when he goes to do something in the United States, in the books, and in the movies. And I, as I mentioned, Bernard Lee is M from the very first episode. Money Penny was Money Penny. I mean, Watching it, you can watch Dr. No in in any sequence of any of the Bond movies. It doesn't feel like an introduction. It feels like he's already Bond. He's already 007. They do make a few mentions like, you know, with your 00 license, you have to get this gun and not this gun that you've been using. And so it, you know, but it's not so much an origin story as we would get from anybody adapting a book today or uh, any kind of franchise. You're, the first one's going to be some kind of origin story. And this just kind of drops you in on one of Bond's adventures. And you can literally watch Dr. No anywhere, shape, you know. So I won't get into too many spoilers. You've probably seen these movies a hundred times in your lifetime. So I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll give some memories and some overviews. So in 2012, and the year's leading up to it, uh, MGM went to Lowry Digital and they restored uh, all of the elements in 4K. Um, they went back to the original film elements. The Bond movies had been remastered in the 80s for DVD and they made a huge deal over that. And I remember having that entire DVD collection with those giant black cases. And, and so it was time for the 50th anniversary to remaster them yet again. And so far, this is the first one I've watched. It looks amazing. Um, again, like all my recent reviews, I am watching through a 4K Blu-ray player that's automatically upconverting the 1080p signal to 4K on my roommate's Samsung 85-inch 4K HDR television. So they haven't released the Bond movies in 4K yet. Uh, the Daniel Craig movies are out in 4K, but that's been it so far. They have 4K masters. If they're not going to refresh them, I figure they're waiting for 2022 so they can do a 60th anniversary. 
that's that's just my guess. Uh, they did put out the Daniel Craig movies, but I think that was more to advertise the upcoming film than it was to give us every Bond movie in 4K. As good as Dr. No looks, I probably won't upgrade every single movie unless they put out some cheap box set, and we know it won't be cheap, of all the movies in 4K. I just There are certain movies that I will watch over and over, and other ones I'm glad I own, but like Dr. No is not one that I will just go back to and watch any time. That was up until watching it this time. Watching it this time, this is quintessential Bond. It's a classic Bond film. <clears throat> it is well filmed. It is well acted, for the most part. And... There's some really cool editing tricks that they would continue to do. And in the making of, you find out they, they got this editor and he wanted to try this to keep the motion moving and fight scenes and things like that. And it worked and it became another trademark of, of the whole Bond franchise. They mentioned Spectre a little bit. Um, Spectre wasn't really introduced in the Doctor No novel. It was later, but they were laying the groundwork because they knew they wanted to make more movies. In the movie, we start with a 007 agent being killed by three blind guys in Jamaica. And James Bond is sent to figure this out with his new Walther PPK. He flies to Jamaica after flirting with Moneypenny and uh, gets involved in whatever the agent before him was involved in. And through that mystery, he finds out that they're one of the keys, Crab Key, has uh, an interesting Chinese doctor on it who's doing weird things and nobody's allowed to go there. You see where I'm going with this. Um, why Dr. No has never been one of my favorite movies, it takes a while to get where it's going. It still has all the... There's a, a gambling scene at the beginning. There's scene with women at the beginning. There's scenes shooting, running. You know, there's some action scenes. There's, there's set pieces. It pretty much is the blueprint of everything 007 that came after. But it's still... You know, it, it, it's a 1962 film, and it moves like one, but they were ahead of their time in some of the things they did. Um, watching it now feels good. It, it was entertaining. I wasn't bored at all. Um, um, I actually had remembered it not being as entertaining and as good as it is. Like I said, it's quintessential Bond. It is everything that you've wanted in a Bond movie. The fight scenes aren't as intricately choreographed as the ones today. Um some of the side characters, you know, uh, the, the, the radio operator in Jamaica uh, got the role in the movie because they were filming at her house. She's not the greatest and has a, a pretty melodramatic death scene when the, when the bad guys come. But other than that, the movie does play out pretty much like uh, any other James Bond movie where he's got to figure out the mystery, find the bad guy, get to the secret lair, take out the bad guy, blow up the lair, and wind up with the girl, which he does. And it's funny, this, again, set the tone, and, and they, they, they made the blueprint in the very first movie. Jack Lord and the CIA come to pick up Sean Connery's 007 and Honey Rider, Ursula Andress, are in a boat. They've escaped the exploding island, and here they are out in the middle of the ocean, and they come up, and they throw them a line, and they start towing them in. But, of course, 007 and Honey Rider start kissing, so they let the rope go, and they just float away, and it says the end. <laughs> 
I like the optimism of it. It's funny, when, when we get into the 70s, the Bond films are even touched by a little bit of the nihilism that was in the early 70s. If, if you're not a fan of movies, the early 70s had a lot of downbeat, dark endings. I mean, well, starting with the late 60s, when you, when you look at things like Planet of the Apes and on and so forth, there were some really dark endings where everybody died or something was really screwed up at the end and it just ends. Uh, a lot of horror movies ended that way. And it's funny that the Bond movies usually end on an up, usually end on something cutesy, something sexy, something, you know, you know. And and they nailed it from the very first one. He's floating out in the ocean and gives up the ride home because he wants to keep kissing Honey Rider. Um, it is wonderful to watch this movie blown up on a big TV. The 4K restoration looks great. There's a little bit of film grain, and we're not getting HDR or anything like that. But the movie, it's 1.66 to 1, so it's not widescreen. There's actually little bars on the sides instead of on the top and the bottom. It filled up most of the screen, and it looked great. And some of the colors, I would have thought HDR was turned on. So if, if you're waiting around to pick up Bond movies in 4K, that's your, you know, if that's your cup of tea, great. But this set is probably still available. They came out in 2012. You could probably find it on sale. I got it as a Christmas present. It's one of the best gifts I ever got because it's every single James Bond movie on Blu-ray. comes in two big hardback books with all the discs in them. Every disc is chock full of all the extras that came on the DVDs and a few other things. There's some newly produced extras on there. It... It really is so far a great set, and as I go through and watch the movies, I will continue to review all 23, 24. I recently did one, I believe, of Spectre, or, yeah, um, because we watched it. I don't know if I'll revisit that one or not. We'll see, but I have a lot of James Bond movies to get through. Uh, other podcasts that will be coming your way, by the way, is I'm still watching the Batman 1960s TV series, and there's hundreds. There's over 100 episodes, so it's taking me a while because I watch one here. I watch one there. I'm not, you know, I watch sometimes two because there are a lot of cliffhangers. Um, and I'm going to finish up that Blu-ray, uh, the uh, Bruce Lee Blu-ray box set reviews, I got to the game of death and it's not a very good movie and that kind of stopped it for just a little bit. So I'm going to watch the other version of game of death and I'm going to watch the other version of enter the dragon and then kind of wrap up that series of Bruce Lee reviews. So if you've been hanging on the edge of your seat for me to finish, I'm almost ready for that as well. But yeah, there was some time out with, with Sean Connery's passing who I'm a big fan. I mean, he was one of those actors that was pretty much Sean Connery in most movies, but if you needed Sean Connery in a movie, if it was Highlander, if it was The Rock, you know, uh, The Untouchables, he did what he did well, and I just always liked him. He came up in a different time. I, there are stories of him, you know, misogynistic and things like that. Look, everybody was back then. You don't think Captain Kirk was and things like that? Come on. Um, but it's a different time, and he was 90 years old, and to look back on his life, it's like, wow you know, a life well lived and, and should be celebrated, not, not be sad about it. So kudos to Sean Connery. I'm a fan. He was my 007 by far uh, until Daniel Craig. And I would say I have two bonds because I still love Sean Connery's performance, but I think Daniel Craig is closer to the character. Just my opinion as somebody who read the books and who loves all of the James Bond movies, even the bad ones. So Dr. No, it's worth picking up if you don't own it. If you can get the whole set of James Bond movies and you're a fan, I obviously would recommend go because a little bit cheaper you know so many dollars per disc i'm scott hamilton i'm rockfile my website is the rockfile.com there'll be more james bond podcasts and others coming up very soon please subscribe please share and thank you so much for listening we'll be right back.